We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast presented by FanDuel. Nick Rayland here with Alex Barutha. It is Tuesday, November 14th, eight years to the date of Brandon Jennings' 55-point game, November 14th, 2009. That was kind of a, an actual where-were-you-when moment for me. I specifically remember where I was at my, my friend Billy Fox's house in Wrightstown, Wisconsin, watching that game. Do you remember where you were? Were you into the Bucks in 2009? I was into the Bucks. I don't remember where I was, though. I must have actually missed the Might game. Might have just blacked out for three I, hours. <laughs> that's, that's very possible. Yeah, so what a game that was. I also you know, found out today uh, that it was the anniversary of that game, which sent me down a rabbit hole. Basketball reference uh, is fantastic for this stuff. There's actually a tool uh, that allows you to search any date, and it'll bring up the stat lines from every player who played on that date in a given year. So I'm like, you know, let's just check out you know, the mid-2000s, see what happened on November 14th. It's also the eight-year anniversary of what I assume is just known as the game. Now, Udonis Haslam scored a career-high 28 points on this date eight years ago, overshadowed, of course, by Brandon Jennings' 55-point ga- game. But uh, career-high 28 points for Udonis Haslam, a career-high 20 field goal attempts. Okay. Uh, this was 2009, like not 
all that long ago. Uh, it's just crazy no. to me to imagine Udonis Haslam attempting like four shots in a game, let alone <laughs> 20. Uh, but that led me to look up uh, even further into the rabbit hole, and I wanted to ask you this question. How many times do you think Udonis Haslam scored 20 points in his entire NBA career? Um, five. Okay, that's a little low. 21 okay. times. Okay. I would have guessed somewhere between one and three. So right. a, that's a pretty fair guess. Okay. Um, but that, yeah, that's 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 the intro for today. I, so the more you know. Uh, I would like to think that, well, Steph Curry came off the bench in this Brandon Jennings game back in 2009 um, because right. it looks like Monte Ellis and Anthony Morrow got the start over him. Sure. Um, I would like to think that Steph Curry saw what Brandon Jennings did that day and decided that that's exactly who he wanted to become as a player. I mean, Brandon Jennings took eight threes, made seven of them. Yep. Um, uh, foreshadowing for the rest of his career. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, I can't I can't help but think Steph Curry saw that and, and decided to become that type of player. Looking back on how the script has flipped on that 2009 draft is actually kind of fascinating because – do you remember who the rookie of the year was without looking in 2009? Was that the Tyreek Evans year? It was the Tyreek Evans year. And Tyreek Evans, I want to say averaged really close to like 25 and 5 as a rookie and looked about as good as, as a rookie uh, possibly could. And obviously things have turned out a little bit different, uh, differently for Tyreek now than they look like they were back then. Uh, but Steph Curry at the time, good player, extremely injury prone, somebody that in like 2010, 2011, like there was a very real possibility that Curry wouldn't even be in the league right now right. with the way that the ankle situation kept happening and kept happening. Uh, and obviously that, like, when's the last time we've really been concerned? You know, he's turned his ankle every now and then, but it just kind of seems like it's what every NBA player goes through once a season. Yeah, because now he does that. I think maybe it was the Warriors medical staff who instructed him to fall, like that thing he don't really like falls after he lands. Mm-hmm. Um, to just basically put no impact on his ankles right. in weird spots. So I think, but yeah, I mean, Steph Curry obviously had potential at that point. We knew that, but no one thought that he would ever realize right. that because of the ankle, and no one thought that you could play through an ankle and probably even become like, I don't know who was expecting Steph Curry to become like a perennial All Star, right. let alone MVP of the league. Well, that's the other thing is you know we're sitting here in 2011. Curry played 26 games that year in 2011-12, averaged 14 points shot 46% from three, which is insane. And, you know, obviously, not jokingly, actually did foreshadow what we'd see later. Um, But it wasn't like an Embiid situation where everyone was like, man, if this guy can stay healthy, who's going to stop him? It was, he's pretty good. Maybe he'll make a couple all-star games. But nobody was looking at Steph Curry in the context of, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a no-doubt MVP guy, a future Hall of Famer. Um, So, like, not only did he get healthy, he also, at the same time, like drastically improved almost every aspect of his game along with the health yeah I mean that's one of the most just kind of out of nowhere MVPs that I can I mean you know in recent memory um I don't even know who else would be on that list I haven't looked at the MVP list well it so quickly flipped from one narrative to the other like it wasn't like Curry came out of nowhere to win the MVP the first time you know he clearly wasn't the favorite or anything but it wasn't crazy shocking he had averaged 23 and 7 the year before um but I mean, we didn't even plan to talk about this. I just wanted to start, you know, getting getting on topic with the '09 draft before we shift to Brandon Jennings, right? <laughs> um, but we're, Brandon Jennings is now what in China? Yeah, China. I believe, averaging like thirty a game, going up against Marshawn Brooks. I tried to I tried to look up his stats. I couldn't find them. So 
I think you have to turn off your safe search. Oh, um, okay. To, I have to, to enter the dark like web. That. Yeah, you have, there's like a drop-down menu. You have to confirm you're 18. Okay. Um, and, then, and then they'll let you see it. But <laughs> usually where I go for that is Real GM, by the way. Okay. Um, okay, he is playing for Shanxi Zongyu uh, of the CBA through seven games. Brandon Jennings is averaging 30.4 points per game, 3.7 steals, seven assists, six rebounds, shooting 40% from three on 11 threes a game. So he's basically Kevin Durant. Yeah, more or less. More or less Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like a worse version of Jimmer Fredette. Okay, right. I mean, he's a guy, I think, because what the CBA season always ends in like January or February. And guys like this is like when guys like Josh Smith. Oh, they come back. And uh, who's the guy who came back? Uh, Jordan Crawford last yeah. year for the Pelicans. Like that's when they really make their bones. So I would I would not be surprised if Brandon Jennings ends up on a roster at some point later in the year. Um, let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. I think this is going to be our third straight podcast, counting the one that James and I did on Thursday, leading off with the Bucks. But they've won three in a row. Uh, really nice win last night at home against Memphis. A, a really fun back and forth game. Uh, we were just talking before going on air uh, about the impact that Eric Bledsoe has had for this team, and he really hasn't played all that well in terms of statistics. You know, he hasn't shot the ball well. Um, you know, the assist numbers haven't been huge, but you know, he's playing 30 minutes a game, and they're basically they've just just kind of handed over the reins at point guard to Bledsoe. Brogdon's coming off the bench. Brogdon sat much, if not all, of the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. Last night, uh, and they ran basically with Bledsoe, Middleton, Snell, Giannis, and Henson to close out. Um, you know, I'm not sure that's a championship level no. five uh, or even an Eastern Conference Finals level <laughs> five. But when Tony Snell and Chris Middleton are knocking down open threes, and Eric Bledsoe is weaving through traffic and pushing the ball up, and Giannis doesn't have to do everything, uh, we kind of saw last night like how dangerous and, and really fun to watch this Bucks team can be. Yeah, and. You know, Bledsoe's numbers are kind of low, but at the same time, I don't know how, like, it, the the Bucks are a slow-paced team. They're 24th in pace right now. I think people think maybe the Bucks are faster-paced because of Giannis, Giannis's ability in transition and the fact that they do like to force turnovers and get out and run, but they do play pretty slow. Mm-hmm. But, it's yeah, it's very apparent what difference Bledsoe makes in even the Bucks' half-court offense because prior uh, – Prior to Bledsoe getting there, it was basically a backcourt of Malcolm Brogdon, um, Chris Middleton, Tony Snell, and Matthew Delvadova, none of which are fast players, especially with the ball. Um, so it kind of it added some speed to the Bucks' half-court offense, which was definitely needed because it's an offense that functions a lot of it, – it, it works through people driving to the basket and dishing out to three – and the better a player, a better player you have doing that, the the easier it is to get that offense mm-hmm. going, and that's what we've been seeing. Right, and again, Bledsoe hasn't hasn't shot well, and you know, he, I think he's just doing really well at making the right play so yeah. far. That's been clear. Um, you know, even last night he drove into like three guys and looked like he was going to be completely trapped and land out of bounds. Ended up somehow slinging a pass, you know, basically from under the basket out to Tony Snell for an open three. And, like that's the kind of playmaking that. As good as Malcolm Brogdon is, like he just can't make that play. Del Vadova certainly cannot make that play. Uh, just just the, that kind of upgrade and, and the two-way ability, too. Uh, defensively, Bledsoe's been really good. Um, he shut down Mike Conley for the better part of the second half last night. So uh, early returns for the Milwaukee Bucks have been good uh, on the trade front. Yeah. Um, 
they're just bucks are really stacked now with combo like or two-way players and um like middleton snell bledsoe brogdon all these guys play both positions well um i thought brogdon would take more of a hit like minutes wise than he has um like you mentioned he didn't play a lot in the fourth quarter um last night but he's he's basically playing like the six-man role right. off the bench for the team playing both guards uh spots so um it it's been like you said a seamless transition right. so far and he only played 19 minutes last night which is a little alarming you know considering he was around 30 each of the two first two games of Bledsoe but if you watch that game it, it really did seem like that five that I mentioned earlier kind of had it going late and right. Jason Kidd just wanted to let them ride it out and that's exactly what it was and you see that it's not just a Bucks thing or a kid thing you see every team do that so I wouldn't read too far into that you know if you're if you're concerned about Malcolm Brogdon's value Della Vadova he played 12 minutes last night that's the role he should probably be in yeah. he was still up closer to 20 the previous two games um he was a minus 18 in 12 minutes last night <laughs> um that yeah I mean I, I think that was kind of the main hope is that you're taking some of the playmaking away from Delhi and handing it to slightly more capable hands in Eric Bledsoe right um Delhi's a fine player but he's basically a spot-up shooter at this point and uh you know the fewer minutes the better I don't even know if he's a spot-up shooter that's very generous uh, of you to call him 38 percent from three that is okay he's not taking him on the that's run way better than I would have thought <laughs> okay um yeah they seem like they never go in but you look at the stats and you're like i guess i'm he he might have like admin control over over the official (laughs) nba stats he knows i swear to god he did not have seven threes last night (laughs) um but the bucks have have quietly um they have quietly shot the ball really well from three it's been a slow start for middleton but tony snell's hovering around 50 percent from three uh Giannis hasn't really contributed anything in that area but Toledovic, Delhi and Snell kind of carrying them I mean the Bucks are 24th in three-point attempts per game which I think ideally you'd probably want to raise but when you're shooting it at the third best clip in the league 39 percent it kind of offsets I mean 10 made threes a game on 25 attempts is, is pretty damn good yeah it does especially especially when you have like Giannis making everything that he like every time he gets the ball Mm -hmm. inside the paint he's basically I mean he's shooting 61% on twos this year so I mean you're not taking that many threes but when you have one player who shoots so well from two I it kind of offsets like the fact that most teams are now taking threes to be efficient the right if you can the best shot is still at the rim um and and that's what the Bucks are able to do and as long as they make their open threes and they get open threes that's that seems to be you know working out for them really well I very much admire that Giannis has taken it upon himself to dunk everything within five feet of the rim. He he does not lay it up unless he absolutely has to, which basically means he's too far under the rim or he's got fouled. Like everything is a dunk. Yeah, a lot of I, fun to watch. Easiest way to get fouled. Is very true. Go up, you know, go up strong for a dunk, and he's he takes eight free throws a game. Mm-hmm. So, so LeBron James. Did did confirm last night he is in fact still good at basketball. I believe the Cavs were down by as much as twenty two to the Knicks in the second quarter. Didn't really get much better in the third, and then Kyle Korver got hot. I want to say he had nineteen, seventeen, think, yeah. nineteen in the fourth quarter alone, which we've seen this before in spurts, and it actually happened against Milwaukee the first time the Cavs and the Bucks met this year where it was a close back-and-forth game, and LeBron and, and Kyle Korver kind of keep exchanging glances and just get on the same page, and LeBron sets Kyle Korver up over and over and over. That's exactly what happened last night. Korver was really the one who got the Cavs back into this game, you know, cut it from a 20-point lead down to about 10. 
And at that point, LeBron took over, had the and one, uh, in which Jarrett Jack basically tried to commit like a flagger at one and ended up bouncing off of LeBron, who finished a, a wild running layup. Uh, and then, of course, the the step back three with just over a minute left to put the Cavs up. So, I mean, there are two storylines. Well, actually, there are probably like 85 storylines, but two main storylines here. The Cavs have won three or four. They're not. They're certainly not back by any means. I mean, they haven't been beating good teams, but nonetheless, <clears throat> they've won back-to-back games for the first time since games one and two of the season. The other narrative is that basically everyone tried to make this Frank Nilakina versus LeBron James, which in terms of pantheon of very strange NBA rivalries, that's way up there. It is way up there, and yeah, I mean the Cavs have been playing better as of late. They haven't gotten blown out in a while um over the past <laughs> yeah they're, they're <laughs> right? turning it on man. over the past six games i think their worst loss i'm looking here uh was like five points they're riding like a Four six game points. not being blown out by the pacers streak yeah um and that's that's the main thing um they're not winning by a lot either but all these games have been close which is you know i suppose progress I, see i do think there is actually more parity overall in the league uh right now so it's like you can't you can't sleepwalk against the Nets and the Pacers and the and the Mavericks to the same degree that you could last year or two years ago. But still, I mean, this is a Cavs team that should beat those teams by more than two or three points. Yeah, it is. And yeah, like you said, the Nets and the Pacers, they play well and they execute the game plan. And, you know, so they can get hot on any given night and, you know. Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> right. It's it's not going to work out long I think long that's term. how the Cavs see it, too. That's, that is how the Cavs see it. Um, but the Cavs came and execute their game plan for most of the year so far. But um yeah and lebron versus frank nilakina i don't i like he created this narrative that was all purpose, lebron right? right yeah like he knew what he was doing i i think he wanted to amp up the game as much as possible um it seemed like it yeah it seemed like it because that's just a very lebron thing to do because he's kind of corny yeah, and a he, little bit uh and he he likes that sort of a thing but yeah and you know he started off the game passing the entire time um i think just to you know blame his teammates uh kind of put on full display what he's dealing with right like yeah exactly and then later on he could he could carry the team by himself and make the comeback and and be the king of madison square garden which he declared himself i, think, I wonder if he morning. saved that that instagram as a draft like before the game because that, that was fired off you know yeah. was, was it it was actually early this morning i guess like i the social media stuff is its own it, animal i don't know what he's doing there i've stopped either. defending lebron on social media years <laughs> ago um, but I also think he initiated, you know, the, if you saw one thing from that game last night, it was probably the clip of Neil Kina. It looked like a glitch from 2k where Neil Kina was trying to take the ball out of bounds and LeBron was just bumping was into there each and they other. just kind of kept running into each other over and over. And all LeBron had to do is like step aside and granted Neil Kina could have done the same, but Neil Kina was picking up the ball from the floor and I don't think he knew LeBron was there. LeBron made a point to stand right in front right of him. There. So he had no choice but to run into him. And of course that triggered Cantor coming over and lebron wouldn't even say Cantor's name in the post game like i i am the biggest lebron james on-court supporter maybe in the in the state of wisconsin but his off-court stuff is just off corny might not even be doing it justice it's bad it's getting it gets getting worse too he he just has so much fun with it i think i don't know if like he it's just like inside jokes for him like him is he doing this for himself Maybe when you get to a certain point like that it's just to me, it just seems really obvious that you like, wouldn't you just want to like kind of maybe not be friends with everybody, but at least like <laughs> not burn bridges with all these guys, you know, like is, has he just reached the point where it doesn't matter? Like he's LeBron and he's on another level even than, than the Durants and the Westbrooks and things like that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's funny because I think aside from the people who he has played with, like most of his career, like Durant and Westbrook, a lot of these guys coming into the league like look up to him. Like they grew up like they grew up like us watching LeBron James. And so on most nights, every like guys on the other teams like, oh, LeBron, like it's, you know, Not I don't think he I don't think he wants that to necessarily be the case. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know anymore. I really don't. <laughs> it's, it's impossible to read. Uh, I would like to know like the, the amount of money I would pay for like a Team USA tell all, you know, like just the story, just sit down for like an hour with have everyone on the 08 team and the 2012 team and even the 04 team. Why not? That might even be more fun. Like, sit down for an hour with like truth serum. You're like, what? What do you guys actually think of each other? Like, I, LeBron is is such an, a unique case. You know, I think I, it seems like he's respected by teammates, right? Like, is there? There's never really been like an internal strife where someone on his own team has like gone at him publicly. Has there? I mean, he used to go um, at it with Chalmers when whatnot, but that doesn't really count. I don't. I don't think there was the whole Delonte West thing for a while. I don't know if that counts, though. That was – that's Delonte West. I mean, that doesn't count <laughs> at all. We cannot hold Delonte West in the same level as everyone else. We can't. No, it, it seems like – yeah, I don't remember the last time a teammate was like, you know, LeBron, he's not – I'm not feeling what he's doing out You'd there. You'd think someone over the last 15 years would have come out and, and said something, and really it, it's never happened. Maybe they're afraid. I don't know. Maybe there's something to, like, from the outside it's corny. It is. And it's got to be corny from the inside, too. But maybe I don't know. It seems like, guys, you look like a Kyle Korver type, someone who's been around. He's been on three or four teams, has played against LeBron his whole career. Then you go and play with him. I don't know if maybe playing with him is the only way to to truly gauge the, you know, the value that he brings to a team. I don't know. I don't know. I've no, I've not played with LeBron. I not yet. Probably, I should probably disclose that. I don't know if I ever have on this podcast. Let's take a quick break so I can talk about FanDuel. Basketball is back, which means FanDuel is back. It's fantasy basketball for everyday fans. New contests start every day. That means no busted seasons. There's something for everyone on FanDuel. Lots of content to choose from. Contests start at just $1. All you have to do is pick a contest, select your players, and watch your score rack up in real time. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. Take advantage of our special offer for new users. Sign up today at fanduel.com slash RW. That will get you a free six-month Rotowire subscription with your first deposit on FanDuel. Again, just visit fanduel.com slash RW. Void where prohibited. I don't want to talk any more Cavs. James always scolds me for, for bringing up the Cavs too much, and we've probably already exceeded that on this episode. But let's flip to the West. Uh, the Jazz have lost five out of six. Maybe the biggest loss uh, during that span is losing Rudy Gobert for four to six weeks. Sounds like sometime around Christmas is pretty realistic, maybe a little bit before then. This was a team that was already, you know, inconsistent, a little bit fragile, trying to figure itself out in the wake of a pretty tumultuous summer. You know, not only losing Hayward, but also George Hill, bringing in a new point guard, uh, things like that. And this is kind of the worst case scenario I think for them right now because they were already going to be one of five or six teams fighting for a seventh or eighth seed in the west and when the teams you're going up against are you know Portland OKC Memphis the Grizzlies Denver uh, the Clippers like you, you can't afford to just have a you know a five and 15 stretch in the middle no. of November or anything like that um yeah it I just the pieces don't seem to be functioning 
the way that I think the team hoped. Um, Ricky Rubio, unsurprisingly, I think he kind of started well. He had, he had a 30-point game with, like, two assists. I don't know. He's averaging five points. The most un-Ricky Rubio game. The most un-Ricky Rubio game. He's averaging, like, 5.6 assists right now. He's only shooting 37%. I don't think this is anything, like, you know, I don't think any of us. I mean, some people were expecting, hey, new environment. I think people Ricky. were. People were pretty high on Rubio, generally. I don't, I don't know. Like, But at the same time, like, I, I do think it's very strange how much the Donovan Mitchell thing is still – I still don't understand what's happening there. He's leading the team in usage rate right now. Yeah. Like, I didn't think he was. He has higher usage than Curry, Wall, Blake, Kyrie. Yeah. All those guys. He's higher usage than Rodney Hood. And I, like, I I just don't, I don't know. People had really high hopes for this team because Quinn Snyder's a great coach. Um, But it's, right now, it's, it's looking like they're really, they were struggling with Gobert, like you said, and now I don't know where they're getting their offense from or their defense from. Mm-hmm. Like I understand, like Tabo Cephalosha, he's a good defender, um, but other than that, I, I I don't know. They have really no other true defensive stoppers on the team, and if they can't block shots at the rim, and they're not like a particularly lanky team, they're not really going to get in the passing lanes too much. They're not closing out on shots to the point where it's going to bother teams. I, it's it's just not looking good. No, it's not. This is like you said. I think a much bigger loss defensively, and that goes without yeah. saying. It's Rudy Gobert, but this is a team that that's been struggling to find itself on both ends. You know, it's kind of always been they've they've had success to their credit in the mold of great defense and just enough offense to you know win these ninety eight ninety six type mm-hmm. of games, and that leaves very little room for error. I mean, there you, you kind of have to struggle to find a category that they're well above league average in right now on the offensive end. They're the best free throw shooting team in the league. We're okay. good in that. They're number one in free throw percentage. But other than that, it's you know, 20th in free throw attempts. They're bottom six uh, in terms of you know two-point field goals. They're bottom four in overall field goal percentage. They, they have some nice young talent. Rodney Hood's look good in stretches. Donovan Mitchell's numbers have been good, but as you alluded to, I mean, I don't know that – they want someone shooting sub 40% to be taking 20 shots routinely as yep. he is. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you don't necessarily want Rubio taking 20 shots and no. Hood's so on and off and Joe Inglis is really a role player. They don't, they've struggled, I think, more than even they thought they would to replace what what Gordon Hayward brought offensively. Well, and the thing is, they're probably, I mean, the guy they would theoretically or should be relying on for scoring is Derek Favors. And they can do that now because uh Gobert's out so favors is in at center so they can feel in the ball in the post you know scoring from the post has never been a problem of favors but playing favors and Gobert together is a problem spacing wise yes. and so you have a hard time like relying on favors in that way so it's I and you can't, you can't bring favors off the I mean you can bring favors off the bench but I don't think at this point like I think that maybe ruins chemistry you can only mm-hmm. stagger him and Gobert so much because otherwise if you're not playing favors at the four, you're playing like Tabo Cephalosha or Joe Johnson or Jonas Jerebko. and I thought we'd see more Jerebko, to be honest. I thought we would, they too. They barely used him. They had That's 11 minutes a game. Yeah. Um, 50% from three. Um, pretty small sample size. But, um, yeah, it, I don't I don't know if, it's, if this is like a, a Derek Favors problem. It's just an overall problem. Like the fit of all these guys. Yeah. Um, there's no there are very few efficient scorers on the team um 
I thought, I mean, I think a lot of people thought Rodney Hill would take more of a jump than he has. He's been shooting poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, the shots aren't really there, I guess. He's not passing the ball particularly well. He's not passing well. ball, that's for sure. He's not passing it at all, so I don't. He's yet to pass this season. He's yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's we'll see. I mean, it's still early enough, but we are we are getting to the point in the season now where we don't have to preface everything with, I know it's a small sample, but I mean, we're 14 games in. Where are we where are we drawing the tiers in the Western Conference? Um I think Houston and Golden State are in their own category. Um and then after that, I mean I don't I don't think what we're seeing like if you look at the standings right now, I don't think anything is too far off of what it should be. Um except maybe I mean the Clippers should maybe be better. They're dealing with injuries though. And what I I watched them I watched them play last night and they I don't like it I don't like how they look without Teodosic or Beverly there and yeah. obviously you know they were leaning on Teodosic to be like an actual point guard and make that offense work but now it's just ISO ball. It's been a lot of Austin Rivers. It's who's, been a, who's shot the ball pretty well this year to yeah. be fair. And Gallinari's been out. I should preface Gallinari's that. Gallinari's not been good. Yes, he's been he, out. Um, but but not, I don't think he's brought what they expected. No, he's, he's been he's been he's off to a really rough start. Slow, kind of injury prone. Not, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's really a small forward. There's issues there, but um, I think what we're seeing generally in the West is is pretty legitimate. Um, you know, Houston, Golden State at the top. Then you kind of get that Minnesota, San Antonio, Denver. Um, Portland should probably be winning a couple more games. OKC should probably be winning a few more games. Um, I don't think there's really any pretenders though. I mean, so is it is it Houston, Golden State, and then there's like seven teams in the next tier? Because it kind of feels like that right now. I mean, if you're talking long term, I would still put the Thunder above most of the teams that they're currently behind. Right. And I think the same probably goes for San Antonio, although they're tied for third right now. Yeah, I mean, but all those all those teams, like you said, though, they're they're like within two wins of each yeah. other. So and even talent wise, like small sample, but. I think I think they're all pretty comparable. They are, and so now it's we we're kind of used to that being the situation in the East, where it's right. like, oh, there's two top teams, then everyone else is like, eh, who even knows or cares because mm-hmm. it's just going to shake out in the playoffs. Um, but I think that's kind of the, that's the situation it's looking like in the West right now, um, and a lot of these a lot of these teams in the West are kind of new look teams, so right. they are having to adjust to that, and so we might see you know once we get like. 20 maybe 10 20 more games in there's more you know comfortable and um Mm -hmm. but yeah like you said i think it's two and on the rest right now i've been a little disappointed with portland i thought that was a good point by you that a lot of these teams oklahoma city denver utah um even new orleans to some degree that only had a few games uh with boogie last year minnesota like all these teams together are going through similar processes and it's kind of affected them the same. But, like, Portland's the one team that's relatively unchanged. I mean, you only had Nurkic for a handful of games last year, but it felt like they that was a pretty easy transition for him uh, right away. I mean, there was, it was basically – it was a situation where they he probably should have not been traded for what he was from Denver, and it was immediately clear that he was being misused. Uh, but I thought Portland would get off to a better start. I mean, they're 7-6 and six right now. Things could certainly be worse. They just blew out Denver the other night. Um but you know they lost they lost to Brooklyn before that they they lost or no they lost to Utah kind of in the middle of Utah's skid they lost to Toronto a team that I'm not very high on lost to Memphis uh, and, they, and they've been close you know yeah, a few of their losses have been within like five points so. right and that's the main thing if if a couple shots go a different way this right. team could have nine or ten wins 
and so I'm not that concerned about them. But like mm-hmm. you said, some of their some of their losses to the teams that they lost to are concerning. Yes, and Lillard has not played well. Um, I haven't checked his numbers recently. Forty percent from the field, thirty percent from three on seven attempts. So that'll come around. That'll Damian come around. Lillard. But uh, once that does, I mean, if if Lillard was shooting like his his average or even like slightly below his career average, they're probably an, an eight or nine win team right now. Right. And it's kind of it's it's a little impressive that they are over five hundred mm-hmm. with Lillard just not really playing well and the situation with Nurkic he's sometimes not mm-hmm. he sometimes plays twenty minutes then Ed Davis is playing center um, Aminu's been out for a few games now they've been um, relying on like Vonley and Swanigan and to hold down the yeah. the fork at the four so um, yeah I'm not I'm not too worried about them I think once everything you know, settles, they'll, I mean, they'll be in the playoffs. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, to me, but. Oh, I mean, that's interesting. I, I, I would put them in, but I certainly don't think they're a lock, right? So right now the playoffs would cut off with Portland as the eight and below them, you have OKC, you have Utah, you have the Clippers. So if any one of those teams move in, you know, who ahead of Portland do you have moving out? Memphis, Memphis, New Orleans, New Orleans, Uh, what New Orleans Orleans is doing is unsustainable. Right. I think it's I think it's Memphis and New Orleans that they could jump. Um, OKC will slide in, but I'm not I'm not that sold on like Utah and the Clippers right now. Um, Utah to me, the Gobert thing might actually just kill their playoff hopes, which is really like sad to say. Um, no, it if, will. I mean, they're they're not one of those teams that you look at in and say, all right, well, in January once they get Gobert back, they'll just start ripping off wins. Right. You know, like they're they were kind of a win two, lose one, lose two, win one type of team before that. And the Clippers, to me, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's Doc Rivers and the way the offense works that frustrates me, um, and doesn't look good to me when I watch it. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced they they can miss the playoffs. Um, but they were also one of those teams who everyone had like no one knew what to expect once Chris mm-hmm. Paul's gone. You lose a guy like Chris Paul, it's like who even right. knows? Like you have you have talented players and a you know a respected coach, but it's yeah you can't predict that i mean to be fair they were they were probably the most impressive team through the first week and a half of the season i mean they were i believe at the time the only four and no team they had three blowout wins and then beat portland and then the injuries started hitting and they really don't have a point guard right now i mean Jawan evans who's one of my favorite players in the draft god bless his heart uh he should not probably be playing 25 minutes no. for this team right now and and that's the thing too some of these teams are are injury prone teams like the clippers are very you look at their roster these are guys who get injured um that can keep them out of the playoffs you look at guy uh memphis guys get hurt on memphis conley's playing through injuries right now chandler parsons barely plays um uh utah um rodney hood has had injury issues um so has Derek favors and i don't i mean i don't think portland i don't think many of those guys i don't think they miss too many games do they the like the core Not of that the team core, core, no um so to me that gives them a great chance of of jumping up while right. You know, LA and, and Utah may not ultimately, probably won't ultimately make it. No, that's a good point. I mean, when the talent is so close, and you know, I mean, you can look at the stand, the, the standings in both conferences kind of mirror each other right now. Right. You know, I mean, there's just there's the top two at the top, and then there's this tier of six to eight teams where everybody is within a game or two of each other, and then all the way at the bottom, you have <laughs> the Bulls and the Hawks and the Kings and the Mavs. Yep. And the, I think the Suns, the Suns have somehow pulled themselves out of that which i mean two games in even three games in it was 
I was thinking like this the Suns might set some sort of record for like margin <laughs> of defeat. I mean they were they were not only getting beat, they were just getting absolutely smacked around like in every phase of the game and I mean, I don't know. Maybe I didn't put enough stock in just how bad of a coach Earl Watson was. Maybe, but they the only like I they beat Minnesota, which that's impressive. Mm-hmm. But the only other teams they beat were Washington, which was down. They were who they were missing someone. I feel like Wall was banged up in that Wall game. was banged up. I think Porter may have also been out. Okay, yeah, Porter did miss one game, I think, for an illness. And then they beat Brooklyn. Okay. It's a tough, um, tough Brooklyn team. Utah, which we kind of talked about, yeah. beatable team. Yeah, I mean, granted, maybe they dropped five in a row after And then Sacramento. That. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. It is what it is. Um, okay, last thing, Pelicans. I said earlier that I think it's unsustainable. And what I meant by that is the fact that DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis – like if you're guys like us who follow the league, you you check box scores every night, and Cousins especially is just unbelievable this year. Like every single game, it, it, you you feel like you see 28 points, 17 rebounds, eight assists, three steals, two blocks, eight turnovers. Like he's yeah. averaging 5.4 turnovers a game, which yes. is it's insane. the same amount of assists as turnovers, right. basically. So. <laughs> which is that, that's actually not good whatsoever, but. Him and Davis, I mean, are combining for like 60 points and basically almost 30 rebounds on a lot of nights, you know, close to 10 assists. The problem is there's such a huge drop-off. Drew Holiday's been better of late. He was really bad to start the year. But, you know, the one saving grace is they brought back Rajon Rondo last night. I don't know if saving grace is the right word. (laughs) That was probably a poor choice. He only played five minutes. It sounds like it's going to be three or four games until he's actually in the role that we can expect to see him in long-term. But... It's it's another dynamic, and when it's when you're the Pelicans, I think that's just kind of how they've run their franchise. It's just like we got to try it. We'll see what happens. Like it could very well just implode the offense and frustrate Cousins and Davis. But there is a chance that somehow Rondo is kind of this fourth type of option that 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 a team and any playoff team in the West really needs. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a Rondo believer. Rondo's always been one of my favorite players to watch. Um, back through the Celtics, but yeah, I mean the. Even, I mean, getting Rondo back will, I mean, that's going to, that's a huge bump to their, you know, their talent and everything. They do have Jameer Nelson now. That's right. Um, as much, you know, as much stock as we can put in that. But he is, he's basically a 40% three-point shooter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like you kind of mentioned, like Cousins and Davis's numbers are, are pretty unsustainable. Um, at the same time, Cousins, like he's been, he's, his usage is so high, but he hasn't been that efficient like he's he's been playing like 47 percent. that's pretty good from the field um 35 from three that's that's good but like the five you know he's basically nullifying his assists with turnovers Mm -hmm. and so i you know i don't know davis has been really well but that's another thing where we get we talk about injury prone guys again if davis misses 10 games this year those are probably that might be eight losses Davis is is really only missed one game so far, which for him is is ideal. Incredible. But yeah. <laughs> he's all. It's still the same story. Where if you're if you're on Twitter during an NBA night, you know third quarter, Anthony Davis lands awkwardly, heads back to locker room, and to his credit, he's come back out of the locker room most of the time this season. But it's just it's the same story every other every every year. And I, I guess it's a good thing that he's avoided any like actual major injuries. You know, right. he's never torn an ACL. He's never you know messed up an Achilles or anything like that. But those things add up over the course of a season, uh, and we've kind of seen that the last few years. All right, anything else you want to hit on? We're actually fairly close to the half-hour target this time. 
I just think Tyreek Evans. Oh, yes, that's right. Of course. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, speak your piece. I mean, Tyreek Evans is playing really well this year. Um, I think he has the highest usage rate on the team other than someone who's I can't remember the name. has played one game this year. Um, so out of the rotation players, um, Tyreek Evans basically leading the team in usage. Over the past six games, 25 points, four assists, three rebounds, a steal and a half. He's shooting 61% from the field, uh, 48% from three. But like we've talked about, not sustainable, but it's 15 shot attempts and five attempts from three. So he's, I mean, he's being trusted to like be a huge, like the he's basically third running option. The second unit. Yeah, he's running the second unit. He's the third option on the team, uh, more or less. And it's, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the pod, he won rookie of the year. Um, he's putting up close to the same stats this year, um, although in 10 less minutes per game. So this is, the season's been more impressive than his rookie year which you would hope, but you know, the way his career is shake, you know, shaken out. Um, I, I'm glad the signings worked out well for them because I, Tyreek Evans is another one of those guys who I enjoy watching. And I felt like he's like, I, I feel like the, maybe the change in the way the NBA is played is better for him. Like the more positionless, because he's always been that kind of weird. Like, is he a one? Is he a two? Is he a three? Mm-hmm. Um, I think now that a lot of these teams are just realizing, like, if we just, it doesn't matter. And Tyreek Evans is a good, a good, a great player for that that sort of um, yeah. philosophy. He's a good fit in Memphis. They needed somebody like him. Just you know, it was for a guy that you basically bring in with no expectations uh, to be doing what he's doing so far. And and it seems at least relatively sustainable. I would be shocked if he's shooting anywhere near fifty two percent in three months. But you know, he's not. He's not just having this like insane run where he's. You know, it's just not like a Dion Waiters run midway through last no. year. Um, and he's, he's been over the last, the last three seasons, including this season, which for him only amounts to like 80 games. I mean, he's been like a 39% three point shooter. So in all these stints with new Orleans and Sacramento and now Memphis, it's kind of translated. It it doesn't seem like it's all that much, uh, of a fluke. So that's, yeah, I agree with you. That's been, that's been one of the more unexpected, I I guess, storylines, of this NBA season. All right, we'll wrap up this one. Uh, I'll be back with James on Thursday. DJ will be hosting on Friday again. We are sponsored by FanDuel. Make sure to use that promo code. Go to fanduel.com slash RW. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.